Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. If you have a Bible, open up to Philippians chapter 2. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll make sure you get one. Brian's posting out Peter Perez right there for revivals. That's awesome. Philippians chapter 2. This week, we're going to continue on with this, this thought process that Paul is uh, continuing to develop. And, and he's, he, he's kind of been, uh, he gave a principle in verse 3 and 4. And then he's expounded on that. He, he actually gave us an example of Jesus as, as a result of, you know, somebody who fits that principle in verses 3 through 4. And um, now he moves into, we'll see two other fellas that are examples of what he's talking about. And so if you'll stand with me, we're going to read Philippians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 19, and uh, we will hopefully close out the chapter this morning. Lord willing, I know we've been in chapter 2 for a while, but there is so much going on, so much good stuff in here. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 19, it says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to, go to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such, uh, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Father, we thank you for your word this morning, and we thank you for the example of what, what a worthy friend looks like. We thank you for giving us the attributes of what we ought to look like to other people. And we ask you this morning, Lord, that you would speak into our lives. We pray, Father, for anyone here this morning or maybe is tuning in later that, or, or even online or through the radio right now, Lord, that you would just prepare our hearts for your word, that you would get our attention, whatever's necessary, Lord. We ask for you to be glorified in this time as we study your word and that you would speak directly to us. And we know you will. Your Holy Spirit is here. And we ask that you just lead us into all truth now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. On May 5th, 2004, the final episode of the hit sitcom Friends aired. Anybody a big uh, Friends fan? Anybody love the series Friends? Like three of you, that's awesome. That's really good. This will be really relevant, I'm sure. So great, you know. Actually, 52.5 million people tuned into that, that final episode, making it the sixth most watched finale in the history of television. The, the show averaged 23 million viewers 
every episode. It went on for 10 seasons. By season six, these, each one of the actors was making $750,000 an episode. And, and as they continued on, the final three seasons, each one of them were making a million dollars per episode, uh, uh, making uh, it one of the highest paid sitcoms ever. And actually, Jennifer Aniston, um, Courtney Cox, and Lisa Crudeau were, were the officially the highest paid actresses ever. Why was it so successful? Why do you think that was so successful as a, a sitcom? Because it was relatable. Because people could relate to the storyline. Isn't that what we gravitate to? Things that we relate to? Things that speak to us? Everybody wants to have friends. Everybody loves friends. And in fact, the interactions with these friends are quite like the interactions that you have with your friends. You know, it's interesting that we only have probably a, a, a few good friends in our lives. And that's really the storyline. It's speaking about good friends who, well, actually dated each other and broke up with each other. And, you know, all of these kinds of things interacted with one another. Three guys, three girls. But the, but the storyline is about friends. We all want to have good friends. What does a good friend look like? Now, we live in a culture in a world today that likes to diminish words, right? So they're doing that redefining words all, all the time. And I think diminishing the meaning of significant words, particularly the word friend. Let me illustrate. So um, how many of you, and you don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to, but how many of you have on your social media platforms people you don't know um, as friends or people that you, you've never met or, or people that you would not necessarily call a friend, but they're your friend on Facebook or social media? Anybody have those? Any, yeah, so, so a lot of us do, right? A lot of us have people that we don't necessarily even know. I have 928 friends on my Facebook. Not because I'm a popular person. It's because when people request, I use my platform as a, a ministry. That's why I accept friend requests from people that I don't know. But, but here's the thing. They're not friends. But they're called friends. But we call things that they really are in our culture today, diminishing the word. Listen, I promise you that I am one comment away from having a significant reduction in my friends on Facebook. I promise you one comment can do that, and that's okay. It, to be unfriended by a friend that's not really a friend, right? Do friends really unfriend friends? Not, not according to the Bible. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17a says, A friend loves at all times, even in the bad times. Even when I'm offended, a friend loves. That, that's what true friendship is. True friendship, according to the Bible, involves loyalty, sacrifice, compromise, and emotional attachment. We see really what a true friendship looks like in the lives of a man named David and Jonathan. They were legitimate, true friends. That, that's what real friendship looks like. You remember after David killed Goliath. Saul took David under his wing and, and you know, w was there in the temple and, and David was supposed to be king. He was going to be anointed and he would be the king and all. And Jonathan and David became really, really good friends. Listen to how 1 Samuel 18, 1 through 4 describes their friendship. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. 
And Jonathan stripped him of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Dave, or Jonathan loved David so that he would give him the clothes off his back. That is true friendship. Now, I have to mention this because it's important. There are a select group of, and I don't know what else to call them, but morons who will consider David and Jonathan in a homosexual re relationship. That is not all at all what this is describing. This is describing what true friendship looks like. And part of it is because of what uh, Jonathan says there in 1 Samuel chapter 18. The other part of it is because of what David says in 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 26, when he's lamenting Jonathan's death and he says that he, has, he had love for Jonathan beyond a woman. He's talking about this deep bond that, that, that David had for Jonathan and Jonathan had for him. Do you have friends like that in your life? Do you have people that you've connected with on a different level? And it's not to say that if you're married that that's, that relationship is higher than your relationship. It's different. It's a different kind of relationship. But the point of it is, is that David loved Jonathan deeply. And Jonathan loved David deeply. That is a picture of what true friendships look like. D David and Jonathan had a covenant relationship. They had an agreement amongst one another. David knew he was going to be king, and Jonathan said, hey, I'll be second in charge. They, there was a submission to that. They had no problems. There was no power struggle in that relationship. It was true friendship. True friendship reveals itself in how we treat each other. It reveals itself in the way that we interact with one another. David and Jonathan were sacrificial towards one another. They were loyal towards one another. They were protective of one another, even to the point that even though Saul, Jonathan's father, wanted David dead, Jonathan sided with David, and he protected him through that. That's how deep relationship they had, and that's what it looks like to be a true friend. How important is it to have friends like this? It's crucial, right? Because life is difficult. Things happen. And we need each other. As, we, as we've said over and over and over again, we're not called to do life on our own. God has put people in your path so that you can be in relationship with one another, so that you can share your burdens with one another, so that you can share your stresses, all of the things that are going on in your life because we need each other. Listen, I need the Jesus in you as much as you need the Jesus in me. And so we need each other, and, and it's not that I'm special or you're special, it's that Jesus is special, and Jesus manifests himself in different ways throughout you and I. And so we want, to, we want to be friends like that to one another. Paul had friends like that. Paul had a couple friends like that. In fact, he mentions them for us this morning, Timothy and Epaphroditus. He's going to speak to us about uh, their friendship, what they look, how he interacted with them. What I want to focus on so, uh, isn't really so much the friends that they were, but the friends that we should become. R really, the, the application of what we're going to talk about here today is how can I be that kind of a friend? How can God use me? What, what is it that I need to do? How is it that God can manifest himself in, in a way in my life that I can be a friend worth having? That's the title of my message this morning, A Friend's Worth Having, and our focus is how can we be these kinds of friends. There's five things I want to show you from our text this morning, five attributes that make a friend worth having. First, the attribute of reliability. A 
A friend worth having is a reliable friend. Look at verse 19 with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. A friend worth having is reliable, someone that you can count on at all times, no matter what's going on in your life, that you know that they're there for you. You can count on them. You can call them up day and night, no matter what's go- what time it is. You know that you can call on them and that they're there for you. Now, most of us can count on one hand those types of friends that we have, that kind of a friend in our life, that we know that we could count on, that we know that no matter what it is that we're encountering, that if we call them, they will be there, right? The list is, sh- is very short, no doubt. Paul was that kind of friend. Paul was the kind of guy that you could call on at any time, any place, and he would, he would do his best to either send somebody to you or he would get to you because he was a friend. He was a reliable friend. He was operating in the power of the Holy Spirit, and the, and the fruit of the Spirit is love. And this guy loved to the end, man. And, and he was a great friend to many people. He was there when people had needs. He was there for this church in Philippi who had needs, and they were there for him. Most of us, uh, when we start, you know, Paul, considering where he's at in this moment, in jail, and yet what is he doing? He's there for them. He's ministering to them. He's worried about these believers in Philippi. The dude's in jail. Like he's in prison and he's worried about other people. Now, I mean, I would venture to say that many of us in this room would just say, if he were to be totally self-focused, we would say that's okay because of where he's at circumstantially, right? We would say, hey, it's okay to be self-focused in that moment. And yet he's not. What happens to many of us when we start going through hardships is we become internally focused right we, we serve less uh, we give less we do less we pull back and again no one would blame you for doing that you're going through it not Paul in the midst of his hardships he pressed in further he served more he gave more he he he, he actually didn't do that on his own fruition he actually had somebody train him on how to do that his name was Jesus do you know Jesus in his in his hardest time on earth that he served the most? You know, Jesus in his most difficult hour, the darkest hour that he was concerned about others and not himself, where he would even cry out from the cross, being crucified, excruciating pain, joints out of socket, bleeding, probably, you know, who knows the kind of pain that he's in, pain that we've never experienced, I promise you. And yet, what does he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Friends worth having are friends that press in when hard times come. They're friends that pursue in difficulty, not pull back. And Paul was that kind of friend. Paul knew these believers were distressed, and he wants to minister to them, even while he's distressed in his own circumstances. Notice what he says here. He says something crucial. Before he acts, you know, he, he wants to do something for them. He wants to send this man named Timothy, which I'll get to in a second. But I want you to understand what he does first, and it's really important because I know we, we're, we want to be helpful people as friends, but look what he says. Look what it says here. It says, he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy. Paul knows Timothy has something that they need that he can extend to them, that can comfort them, that can minister to them, right? But before he acts, he prays. He's hoping in the Lord. You know, the the concept is that, you know, really good friends 
hope in the Lord first. Really good friends pray about the situation before they step into the situation. You know what I'm saying? So, so let me give you an example. One time, uh, my dad, this was years, years back, he was making a lot of bad decisions in his life, and he ended up um, being homeless. And uh, he called me up. I, w- I lived in Florida at the time, and he was, you know, telling me about his situation. And he was telling me, man, you know, it's so amazing that I have nothing, and yet how God is meeting me where I am. Like, God is speaking to me. Like, it was, like, profound for him, right? Like, so profound. God was, for the first time in his life, he was, like, hearing God. You know, I'm like, how amazing is that? That is so, I was so excited for him. I'm like, yes, God. And so, rather than hoping in the Lord, I stepped into the situation immediately, and I got my dad a place, and I helped him, you know, get into a, an apartment and get off the street and all that kind of stuff. And uh, immediately after that, he backslid. And the Lord spoke something very clearly to me and very important. He said, Tim, why did you mess up what I was doing? Oh, faithful friends step into these situations, do they? Or do faithful friends let the Lord be the Lord? So that's, what I, that's what's important about Paul here is that he's hoping in the Lord. He's not just stepping into the situation. Sometimes as Christians, we step into places we don't belong, trying to be helpful, trying to be good friends to, to people that God has in a place where he's ministering. So hope in the Lord first, you know. Make sure you're praying about this situation. Make sure you're asking God what his will is. Pray before you act. Paul's praying before he acts. And as the Lord gives him the green light, he's not going to just send anybody. He's going to send Timothy. Now, Timothy was Paul's son in the faith. Like, if Paul had a, a, a legitimate son, it would have been Timothy. Timothy was his, his protege. Timothy was the person that God put in Paul's life that he had special uh, affection for and who became his protege. Now, he loved this man. And I'm sure that, you know, Paul loved a lot of people, but he really loved Timothy. Timothy was a kid that he met on his first missionary journey as he went through, you know, uh, Macedonia and all of that. And Timothy was uh, born in a family of an unbelieving father, a believing mother. And, and when Paul came back through that same region in his second missionary journey, Timothy had grown up. He had become a believer. He had made such a name for himself in the region there um, that, that, you know, Paul said, man, I need to take this kid under my wing. God's doing an amazing work in his life. And so Timothy joins Paul on his second and third missionary journeys, and he, he's side by side with Paul. Paul's not sending just somebody. He's sending his son, as it were. He's sending one of the most valuable people that he has to these believers. He is sending the man that he believes is right for the job. Timothy was a friend worth having. He was not only reliable, but he was also genuine. Look at verse 20. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. There's two kinds of people in the world. There are people who are genuine and there's people who aren't, right? When we live in a culture where, uh, you know, like the common saying is fake it till you make it, right? Just fake it till you make it. Don't, you don't have to be genuine. Just act like you know what you're doing. No, actually be genuine. That would be better. And then let the Lord do what he's going to do, right? Uh, you, you can fake it till you make it through a lot of things in life, but friendship is not one of them. You can see right through somebody who's faking it through your friendship. Can you not? And the way that you can, you can see that is the way that they interact with you. They, they're, they're, they don't have the same kind of affection for you as maybe you have for them. 
Um, people will see right through non-genuine people. What do genuine people look like? They're storytelling people. What I mean, they, 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 don't, they don't let you assume anything about who they are. They, they, they accurately tell you who they are because they don't want you to assume that you're, you're somebody that you're not. And so they're very genuine in their, uh, in their, and vulnerable and open with their brokenness. They're not trying to act more highly than you or try and, try and portray an image that they are not. They are storytelling people. They're also sincere people. They don't have a hidden agenda. You ever had one of those conversations? We're like, hey, brother, let's go out for lunch. And you go out for lunch, the next thing you know, you're getting hammered by, so you're like, whoa, some lunch. I thought we were friends, man. You know, you're thinking, wow, you just wanted to have a, a, a you know, a target practice session with me, apparently, you know. It happens. Genuine people are sincere people. They're going to, they're, they're pure in their motives. They're truthful. They'll tell you, they'll be honest with you, but they'll also do it in love. You won't have to wonder why you're, gathering. Genuine people are also truthful people. They'll tell you the truth. They'll be honest with you. They're sincere, genuinely concerned about your well-being. A friend worth having is somebody who's genuine. You have one in your life like that? Somebody who's just totally transparent? It's, it's an amazing, it's a great thing. It helps, it frees you up, doesn't it? Helps you to be able to be who you are. Helps you to be able to kind of divulge information that maybe you wouldn't share with anybody else, but because of their genuineness, God can use that. Timothy was that kind of friend. He didn't want anybody to think that he wasn't something that he wasn't. Right? I mean, here's a guy that's hobnobbing with the Apostle Paul. Right? I mean, like, he's like, yeah, Paul calls me uh, son. You know, Paul calls me, I'm his, his son in the faith kind of thing. You know, he, none of that, he's not arrogant at all in that. You see that in, in a lot of different cult, in church culture today where, oh, I'm with this person. And there's this pining for position in all of this garbage. And uh, you don't see that with genuine people. They just genuinely love Jesus, and that's why they do what they do. But uh, Timothy was a guy that didn't allow his situation to go to his head. He was just a genuine good dude. He was a really good dude. He was like Paul. Paul said that here, he said, I have no one like him. He's just like Paul. Paul's a genuinely good dude as well. The idea of having no one like him, it can be rendered, I, they're one-souled. The same thing that Jonathan said about David, that he, that he loved him as his own soul. That's the idea. Like, like Timothy is almost the, almost the identical person of, as I am. We have the same heart. Our heart beats at the same pace. We have the same vision. We see the same things. We want to minister to people in the same way. And, and, and so that he, Paul had no one else that he could send like Timothy. No one genuine. No one that would genuinely care for the, for the health and the well-being of these believers. Maybe somebody would step in and pine for a position and try and get some glory out of it. There's plenty of those kind of people we'll see in a second. But none like Paul, who didn't care, who was willing to step in to be sacrificial in his offering for these people. Timothy was that kind of a person. He was genuine in his... Uh, his friendship with these people. He loved them as Paul loved them. Thirdly, a third attribute that you want to have if you want to be a, a friend like this is you want to, um, if you want to be a friend worth having is you want to be selfless. Look at verse 21. He says, for they are self, uh, for all are self, seek their own interests, not those of 
Jesus Christ. He transitions from who Timothy is, this genuine servant who is loving these people, to speaking about others in the church who are self-seekers. A friend worth having is a friend that doesn't only look to his own interests, but looks to the interests of others. Where have you heard that? Try verse 3. You thought you were going to get away with it, right? You thought that, well, we're going to get out of chapter 2 and not have to hear that anymore. He's saying it again. Do nothing in selfish ambition or conceit. But listen, treat other people the way you want to be treated. Look at other people. Look at the interests of others more than you look at your own. Be humble is what Paul is saying. We're called to selfless service to one another. Not doing what's best for me, but what's doing best for other people. Jesus lived that way, and he's calling you and I to live that way. We must, we must be humble in order to be those kind of people. You have to be clothed in humility to be selfless. Not looking for just what benefits yourself. Selfish people look to their own interests. How do you know if they're selfish? By their interactions with you. They're the kind of people that, you know, you go out to lunch, but they never buy you lunch. They're the kind of people that never serve you in any way, but they expect to be served. But they're friends, right? That's what friends do. Now, here's the thing is don't confuse ministry from friendship, right? They're two different things. So make sure you understand that going into it. You know, there are people in your life that are, that you are in, they're your ministry. And they'll mistreat you and they'll uh, misguide you and your responsibility is to respond correctly, to be selfless in your response to them. But maybe they're selfish. Listen, don't cut the friendship off. Serve them. Love them. Be selfless in that way. Paul said there's plenty of people in the Philippian church even around all the places that he goes that are trying to serve their own interests, trying to elevate themselves, but I'm still ministering to them. I'm going to love on them right where they are. So don't cut those relationships off. Paul says these folk, there's folks in the church that are seeking their own interests. It doesn't mean that they're not saved. They just haven't fully understood or embraced the gospel. Understand, we are saved by Christ and for Christ, not ourselves. You know that? You're saved by Christ and for Christ. He created you. God was created you through Christ and for Christ and in Christ. You are created in his image. You are created uh, for him, not for yourself. We're saved for him, but many don't live like that. And in fact, Paul describes two kind of people in the book of Philippians. There's Philippians 121 kind of people, and then there's Philippians 221 kind of people. Philippians 121, to live is Christ, to die is gain. So I live for Christ. Philippians 121 kind of people. Then there's Philippians 2.21 kind of people, which we just read. They live for their own interests. They, they look to their own interests. They're living for themselves. And that's the truth. You're in one of those categories this morning. You're either Philippians 1.21 or you're Philippians 2.21. Now, there are stages to this, I believe, into these kinds of people. And, and I, I think that this French cleric uh, who lived a 1,000 years ago or so, his name is Bernard of Clairvaux said that there are four stages of Christian maturity. And you're in one of these stages. Assuming this is the case, see if you fit into this, stage one is love of self for the sake of self. Love of self for the sake of self. So 
it's all about you. No matter where you go, it's all about you. You know, stage two, love of God for self's sake. Meaning, I love God and I serve God, but it's for my own purpose. Right? I do it for me in his name. Right? Stage three, love of God for God's sake. I love God because he's God for no other reason, just because he's God. And, and so that love, the love that I pour out is because he's God. Stage four, love of self for God's sake. I do what I do for him and him alone and for his glory. That's, that's the, the, the entire, uh, you know, section. Now, it's all about God in that stage where all is done for him. What stage are you in? What stage do you, would you find yourself in this morning? I, I'm convinced that we need to level up, if you know what I mean. Because I think many of us probably live in stage two where, where we, we love God for the sake of self. In other words, if God stopped blessing your life, you would stop serving him. If God stops showing up in every circumstance, and he doesn't have to, by the way, other than violating the promises that he's already made to us. But if he never made you another promise, and he never did another work in your life, he didn't, he didn't bless you the way that you want to be blessed, you know, you would walk away from him. You, you wouldn't serve him anymore. It doesn't mean that you're not a Christian. I don't mean walk away and turn your faith in, but I'm just saying, you know, you would be upset with God. And you would say, you're not being who you said you'd be. Oh, isn't he? He saved your soul. He bled and died for you. He's not being who he's supposed to be. But here's, here's the reality is that we're in this camp of what have you done lately for me? Like, I'm not serving God because I love God and I, and I love him with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind. I'm loving him because he blesses me. And there are doctrines out there like that. You know that? Who serve God because they get something. I'm going to give, you know, I'm going to give my, my offering to God because I'm going to get 10% back. Well, I'm going to get tenfold back. I'm going to give him some. He's going to give me more back. Who's the focus? It's loving self. It's loving God for the sake of self. And I think that, you know, Jesus lived in that camp where he, he, he lived in stage four where he was just, he, it was all about God in his life. He didn't care about himself. Doesn't mean he didn't have questions because we see that he asks in the Garden of Gethsemane. If there's any other way, Lord, doesn't mean you can't ask questions. But the reality is, is will you walk the path that he set before you and serve him no matter what? Philippians 1 or flip. Philippians 121 or Philippians 221 kind of people. Philippians 121 are the people that live in stages three and four. Philippians 221 are the people that live in stages one and two. And again, it doesn't mean you're not a Christian. It just means that you're not living for the Lord. And I would say that the reason for that is because the gospel hasn't fully impacted your life. You're not growing in the Lord. If you're growing in the Lord, then you're going to be leveling up. If you're seeking God and, you're, and, and his word is penetrating your heart, you're going to grow, and that growth is going to take you into a different level where you're going to be doing everything for him because of him, because of who he is, not because of what you get. When we love God because he is God and we love him for his own sake, we can love and serve others in spite of our differences. We can be selfless to people that don't deserve it. And that's what Jesus did. You know, he didn't die because we deserved it. He died because he was called to it and because God loves us. 
Listen, we want to be selfless kind of friends. People that don't, do, don't serve other people for any other reason but because God is God and we love God. And because we love God, we love people. Timothy was that kind of guy. Paul was that kind of guy. Friends worth having are friends that are not only reliable, genuine, and selfless, but also proven. Look at verse 22. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Timothy lived his life in such a way that people could see his character. He didn't try and hide his character. He was who he was, and people saw that. He was tried, tested, and proven worthy. Not just before Paul, but before these believers. They knew him. As Paul went back through in the second, third missionary journeys, Timothy was with them. They understood who this kid was, who this young man was. They saw the things that, you know, he had gone through. Uh, you know, friends worth having are friends that have been through stuff, who have navigated through it well, who have proven themselves worthy to speak into our lives. Isn't that who we gravitate towards? When, I, when I'm going through a circumstance or a situation, I'm not looking for somebody who hasn't gone through it, right? I'm like, hey, who can I find that's never gone through this to tell me how I should work through it, you know? Uh, let me, <laughs> oh, you've never been through it? Well, what do you have to say about it? No, I'm looking for people who have been through it, right? That's what we do. Now, with the caveat that God sends people as well because there's a multitude of counselors, right? But what I find in my own life, and I'm, I'm sure you find this true in your own life, is that when you're going through a difficulty, that the people who have been through what you're going through are the people you tend to, to listen to a little bit more intently. Because they're not speaking theologically. They're speaking practically. They've been, where, they've been there and done that, right? And so they, they have some information that, um, maybe you can have maybe things that you can avoid as you're going through things or how God met them the way that they did. It's just, it's good to hear firsthand how God meets people in circumstances. And Timothy was a dude that had gone through it, man. I mean, I'm just saying you can't go, you know, two missionary journeys with Paul and not go through it. Like I, every place he stepped in, every city that he stepped himself into, he either was in jail or stoned or created a riot or something. I mean, this guy was trial after trial after trial after trial. I mean, Timothy was proven. He had gone through it, and he was the right guy to send to uh, these Philippian believers. He, he could minister to them in a real way because he'd been there and done that. He had gone through various different things. He was proven. Not only that, but Timothy was also dedicated to the gospel. And this is interesting because Paul terms it like, how as a son with a father has served with me in the God. Like, he's talking about this father-son relationship. And the concept is this, that in, in this culture, uh, whatever the trade your father did is the trade you'll do. You, you grew up and you took on the father's, you know, trade, whatever it was. If he was a farmer, you're going to be a farmer. If he was a metal worker, you're going to be a metal worker. If he, whatever he did is what you would do. You learned from your father. You took on his trade. And it's interesting that Paul is saying, hey, Timothy took on my trade. Paul is saying, I've been called to, the, to, to, to be a minister of the gospel. And Timothy came under my wing. He went on a couple missionary journeys with me, and I taught him the trade of evangelism, of how to share your faith in, in different circumstances and situations. 
And so Timothy, Timothy learned from his spiritual father, and he took on the, the, the family business, as it were. And so he, he tells him, man, I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. Paul's saying, There's, I'm, I'm, I'm going to send Timothy. I believe the Lord's calling me to send Timothy, but I'm going to wait for just a minute because I'm going to see what's going to happen to me. What is he talking about? He's saying, I, I'm going to see what Nero's going to do. If he's going to release me or let me go or if he's going to behead me. Timothy, we're going to just see what happens first. But, and, and notice he, he says, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Many people, commentators and whatnot, believe that Paul in this situation believes that he's going to be released. Here's what I see. I don't think he cares so much about that at all. I think the, the, the thing that, that sticks out to me is that he's trusting in the Lord. That he's not anticipating, oh, God's going to get me out of this because, you know, um, he, he's God and he loves me. But, but yet some people die in their faith. You know that? And that's God's will sometimes in those circumstances. Not that he created the situation, but he uses it. Sometimes God can use your death far more than he can use your life. You know that? And look at the, the men of the faith. There's people that were no-namers in, in their time, but who are spiritual giants today. You know, so God can use your life whether you are breathing or not. But, but Paul is focused on, on trusting God in this circumstance, whatever, whatever your will is, and it's whatever his will is he's willing to accept. That's what it looks like to be proven, folks, is that you submit to the will of God even if it means your life. Friends worth having are not just proven, but also messengers and ministers of, to our need. Look at verse 25. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker, and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but, also, but, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I'm more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So not only did Paul think it good to send Timothy to these believers in this circumstance, but also he was going to send this fellow named Epaphrodites. We don't know a lot about this dude. There's not a lot of, in fact, this is the only time he's mentioned in the Bible. Hey, he made it though, right? I mean, what, a, what an honor to, to have your name mentioned in the Bible. Like, wow. Oh, amazing. The guy must have been some kind of a dude. Paul, Paul kind of gives us a little bit of indication what kind of guy he was. He was a brother. He's a believer in Jesus Christ. He had been sold out to the Lord. He was, he was a fellow worker and a fellow soldier. This guy served Jesus. He gave his life for the Lord. In fact, he says at the end here, he risked his life for the work of Christ. This is an all-in kind of dude. He's willing to sacrifice whatever is necessary for the gospel to move forward. Not only that, but, but he was a messenger and minister to the Apostle Paul. The Philippian believers 
had heard about Paul's situation, being in prison and all of that. And again, you know the story. They, they financially supported him and all of that. But, but they also sent Epaphroditus. Some guys think that he was an elder in the church in Philippi. We don't know, but he's from Philippi. And he's sent there to be a messenger and a minister to Paul's need. He wants to minister to Paul. He's bringing messages, maybe from believers in Philippi, telling Paul how much they love him, giving him words of encouragement, whatever it might be. He's a messenger. That word could be translated angel. You got an angel in your life that shows up periodically when you need to hear something and they give you a message. It doesn't have to be a spiritual being. It can be a person. Same thing. The idea is messenger. Epaphrodites was an angel in that sense. He was also a minister. He allowed the Holy Spirit to work through his life to minister to Paul's need. Friends worth having are messengers and ministers to our need. They speak the truth into our lives and they meet us practically. Epaphrodites was a real friend. Listen, you have to understand that as he was coming to Rome here to minister to Paul, that he was putting his life in jeopardy. Paul doesn't know what's going to happen to him. He doesn't know if he's going to be, you know, beheaded or what will happen to him. And who knows, if Nero woke up on the wrong side of the bed, as he did one day, he began to kill Christians. So Epaphrodites is stepping into a place of vulnerability to, to be this man to Paul, to, meet, to be the minister and the messenger to the Apostle Paul. And I would say if God's sending you, there may be some danger involved. I mean, and it may be, you know, a risking of relationship even. But if he sent you, be the good friend that you're called to be. Be the messenger and the minister to that person's need. If they're not saved, then tell them about Jesus. You know, if God's sending you, if he's opening the window for you to share, you can't worry about what the repercussions are going to be. You have to be faithful, a faithful messenger and a faithful minister as God would send you. You have to be faithful to him. Epaphrodites was willing to do that. He said, man, I'm going to go. And, and, and apparently he, he had been sent with gifts. Philippians 4.18 mentions it. Paul mentions this. He said, I have received full payment so, and more. I'm well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So he brought all kinds of things to them, to, to the Apostle Paul. Now, why would Paul want to send him back? Why would he want to sit, send, we're going to call him EPAP. Why, would we call, why does he want to send EPAP back to the Philippian believers? It tells us here because uh, these people are worried about him now. Not only do they have Paul in prison, but apparently Epaphrodites had gotten sick. And he was near death, and these people were, were, were stressed out. They were wondering. They, he, he was a loved brother in their fellowship, and they were worried about him. And that made Epaphrodites anxious. That made him, you know, th this is the kind of friendship these people have, right? I mean, they're so concerned about one another that they're sick. They're, 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 they're so concerned about each other that they're distressed. <laughs> and so Paul says, man, I want to send him back to you guys. So that he can, you know, calm your minds, calm your hearts. That you can see that he's okay. He says, I'm more eager to, to send him. Therefore, that you may rejoice in seeing him again. 
and that I am less anxious. Paul could feel the angst in Epaphrodites and just his grievance for these people. Do you grieve for people like that? Oh man, they're sick. Do you grieve for them? Part of, part of the attribute of, you know, Christ's heart in you is, you know, rejoicing with those who rejoice and grieving for those who grieve. Does it phase you? Does it phase you when people are going through difficult times? Ask yourself, man, Lord, if not, heart check, what's going on in my heart? Paul loved having Epaphrodites around. And yet he knew that it would cause greater rejoicing for him to send them, him back to the, 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 the believers in Philippi. So he, he's going to send him back. Rather than be self-focused, Paul's taking the friend worth having kind of approach and he's being selfless. Listen, this is how the body of Christ should work together. Rather than being takers and givers, we ought to be takers and givers in general, not too proud to take and not too stingy to give. Listen, you're going to be in a situation in your life, I promise you, where you have to be a taker from the body of Christ, where you have to be willing to receive what God wants you to receive in order to receive the comfort that you need to have. You will have to be a taker sometime in your life. Some of you have a problem with that. And, you know, you're too prideful, and I'll speak to myself on that. It's hard for me to take from other people, and yet, there's times in your life where you have to. God's sending a, mis a messenger and a minister to you, so you've you got to take it, right? But then there's givers. There's also those people who are willing to pour themselves out into your life and come alongside you and do whatever it is. They've been sent by God. And some of you have a problem with that. Oh, I don't want to get in their life. I don't want to, you know, who am I to say anything? If God sent you, Go. Go. Go and do what he tells you to do. You don't know how you're going to, you know, you may not see how you're being impactful, but that doesn't really matter, does it? If God's sending you, you have to also be a giver. That's the interactions of the body of Christ. Sometimes we're takers and sometimes we're givers, and you will be both. So do that. That's the Apostle Paul, Epaphrodites, the church in Philippi. They are takers and givers. They, ha they need both. Paul exhorts the church to receive Epaphrodites with all joy and listen, to honor such men who are willing to roll the dice as it were here and give their lives up for the sake of Christ. I'm going to mention one other thing that I think is really important for you to see in the life of this man, Epaphrodites. The way that Paul ends this, in verse 30, he says, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete, listen, what was lacking in your service to me. Now, you could take that in one way and think like, I'm lacking in service to you, Paul. <laughs> we gave you financially. We gave you these gifts. That's not what he's saying. Not in that way. What, what, he's, what he's doing is, and, and there, this is my own in, injection, so take it as that. This, isn't this is just my own reading in the storyline because I know how life is. And I think Epaphrodites was probably a guy who said, man, I was sent to be a, a messenger and a minister to the Apostle Paul, and I blew it. I got sick. Rather than being the guy to minister to Paul, I was the guy that had to be ministered to. 
And you, maybe you've been there before. You feel like, man, God sent me to do this, and I feel like I totally fell on my face. But notice how gracious Paul is. Because the whole church in Philippi is now not just worried about Paul. They're worried about Epaphrodites too. Right? They've been, he's been sent to them. And, and yet Paul, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit knows what to say and how to say it, said, I want you to understand something about Epaphrodites. This guy put his life on the line for Christ. This guy did not fail. I want you to understand that what you could not do, how many ever miles away you were, he did for me. And he's a benefit for me. He ministered to me. What Paul is doing is he's building up Epaphrodites. And he's saying, man, you didn't fail me. You didn't fail me at all. You ministered to me. You were, you, you were a joy to be around. You're an encouragement to me. And I want everybody at, in Philippi to honor such men as you. Listen, you might be here today and you might feel like you've fallen flat on your face somewhere in ministry. And, and you know, so that's kind of keeping you back. You're, you've been pulled back and you're feeling like, I don't know if I want to step into that situation again because I, I feel like I've fallen flat on my face. God doesn't make mistakes, number one. If he sent you, there was a purpose in it, right? If you fell flat on your face, so what? Stand up and keep serving. Listen, I fall on my face all the time. <laughs> That's why my nose is that. No, I'm just kidding. But, but honestly, pride pull you back. Pride will pull you back. Humility and, see, and, and thinking of other people more than you're thinking about yourself will push you forward, even if you're stumbling along the way. Epaphrodites, I have a feeling, felt like a failure, and yet Paul is building him up. He's saying, you didn't fail me at all. God wants you to know you didn't fail him. You didn't fail him. Maybe you weren't obedient to what you were called to do, so repent and move forward and, and do what you're supposed to do. And by the way, things that are outside of your control aren't your fault, so let those things go. Epaphrodites couldn't control the fact that he got sick. And, and may, I know I'm speaking to somebody here that's in that situation. So you need to know that you need to stand up and you just need to move forward because you have not failed God and he loves you right where you are. Paul, Timothy, and Epaphrodites have many things in common, one of which is that they were the friends worth having. They were the kind of friends worth having. They were reliable, genuine, selfless, proven, and messengers and ministers of others' needs. The question is, are you? God desires for you to be a friend like this, to be the person that those around you can count on, that, that don't have to question your motives or wonder if you have some agenda behind your meeting. You want to be a Philippians 2, 19 through 30 kind of friend. The ability is within you. This didn't come naturally to Paul or Timothy or Epaphrodites. This is the Holy Spirit at work in the life of a believer. And here's the thing. This is what I know, is that the same Holy Spirit that was in them is in you. So you can be this kind of friend. The question is, will you? Will you pray? Father, thank you so much for this morning and thank you for your word. Lord, what an amazing few verses we have exemplifying a, a few fellows in the body of Christ who lived out their lives, Lord, to, to serve others and who really were examples of Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. 
who did nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility counted others more significant than themselves, who didn't look to their own interests, but to the interests of others. And so we ask you, Father, to, to make us these kind of friends. We ask you to just take our hearts today and remove the selfishness in within, Lord, and just help us to allow your Holy Spirit to overcome our weaknesses, Lord, and, and whatever things hang us back from being these reliable, genuine, selfless kind of friends, Lord. We ask you, we want your Holy Spirit to shine through us. We want to be the light, as we've been talking about, to the world. The world doesn't know this kind of friendship, and yet you've put it in our hearts. May we be to the world what Abraham was to you, a friend of God. So would you help us today, Lord, as we surrender our hearts and our lives to you? We love you, God. We thank you. And as we continue to pray and all heads are bowed and eyes closed this morning, if you're not in relationship with Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to come to Christ this morning. It starts there. You can't be the kind of friend you're called to be unless you're in relationship with Jesus. If that's you, just lift your hand up. I want to pray a prayer with you. Anybody here this morning want to accept Christ as their Savior, their eternal destination changed, that they can be reconciled to God, their sins can be forgiven, that you can be in right relationship with a holy God who loves you. If that's you this morning, just lift your hand up. All these believers in here are praying for you. Anyone at all, lift your hand up. If you're online, if you're listening in the radio, this applies to you too. The Holy Spirit is at work. Somebody here, somebody, God bless you. Anyone else? Is there anyone else here? Wants to be in right relationship with Jesus? Sins forgiven. Anyone else? Jesus calls us publicly because he died for us publicly. And so, God bless you. Anyone else? Hey, if you raised your hand to just continue in prayer, I'm going to ask, just lead you in a prayer and you just say these words to the Lord. God, I come in Jesus' name and I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I thank you for sending Jesus to die for me, to raise again from the dead for me, and I'm putting all my hope in him today. He has my life. Make me a Christian today. Fill me with your spirit. And help me to walk out what it is that you're calling me to walk out today. Help me to be this kind of friend. Thank you for saving my soul. In Jesus' name. And for the rest of us here today, Lord, we just ask for an empowerment of your Holy Spirit and for a surrender beyond what we ever have before, Lord. We know time is short and we keep saying that. But it is. We are one day closer to you coming back. And so help us to live that way, Lord. We we're not guaranteed tomorrow. And so use us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.